Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NOVA. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Thomas. I am the director of student ministries here at NOVA, and so I don't often come up here to preach, but every week I am teaching uh, junior high and high school students, um, and it's like one of my favorite things in the world to do. I'm uh, so glad I get the privilege of doing it, uh, especially with them, because they're so smart, um, <laughs> and they ask really good questions. It's really fun uh, to be able to like teach a lesson and have them like constantly be like raising their hands and asking good questions. It's like, oh, they're really interacting with the text. Uh, a couple weeks ago, because they were having like too many questions, I was encouraging them, like, ask questions, and they were having too many. I had to have them start writing them down, um, because it's like, this is deviating from the topic, but that's an amazing question. Um, <laughs> I had to have them uh, write them down, and in, in the past like f three or four weeks that I collected their questions, I think I now have like 75 questions from them that I need to answer. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> Uh, but it's great, and I love it, and I'm glad to be here. Um, uh, if you have a Bible, uh, pull it out, uh, or open up your app, uh, because we're going to be like deeply in the text today. We're going we're gonna to read a, a lot of, of scripture. Um, if you want to get a head start, we're going to be in John 6. Um, so that's where we're going to be today, but uh, I'm actually closing out our, our series uh, on uncomfortable, the, the shocking words of Jesus. This is the, the last one in the series, and we've looked at uh, quite a few texts uh, in the series. And uh, when it came time for me to like pick something that I wanted to preach on, I was like, all right, let me find some uncomfortable, shocking words of Jesus. Um, I was, you know, flipping through the Gospels, and I'm like, these are all pretty shocking. I have many things to choose from. This is wonderful. Um, and so I, I landed on something. We were, uh, we were going through the Gospel of John uh, with the youth group, and as I was reading, reading through it to, to teach them, I was like, oh man, I'm feeling it. And so we're going to be in John 6 today, um, and it's going to be really good. Um, but uncomfortable and shocking words of Jesus, I, a lot of the times we hear that, and some of the passages that, that we've even looked at, we're like, oh yeah, like, I know, I know what it's talking about there, I've heard that like a dozen times, like preached and taught, and I've read it myself, um, and a lot of the time I feel like we can get kind of uh, not very numb and uh, <laughs> comfortable, <laughs> to play off of that word, uh, with some of these uncomfortable, uh, really, sayings of Jesus. Um, and so, like, for example, uh, we have this here in, in Matthew 5. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, this is, uh, I think it's, a, it, it's an uncomfortable saying. Um, it's not the one we're looking at today, but it's, it's a very good one. Um, and I think a lot of people, even in the church, don't, they, they, uh, even people who are outside of the church, they, they know this one. And we've heard it so many times that we're like, oh yeah, of course, love my enemies. I shall do this. Um, but I think it's really easy to uh, like assent to, okay, I'm going to love my enemies. Um, but a lot of the times we're just like, well, I don't have any enemies. Ha -ha. Um, <laughs> or sometimes you're like, uh, well, certainly <laughs> it doesn't apply to that person. <laughs> um, but it, sometimes it does. Uh, I think two weeks ago, Pastor Dean preached on uh, the topic of forgiveness. Um, and it's very, very tightly related to, to this right here. Um, and he actually, he, he brought a quote from this book called Exclusion and Embrace. It's, it's a book uh, by a man named uh, Miroslav Volf. It's a weird name. Um, he is a Croatian theologian uh, who has uh, done some really, really good and insightful work in modern theology uh, recently. And this book was like a, a very important book of his. Um, 
And uh, it, it came out of him uh, doing this lecture series on basically what it looks like to, to love your enemies. Um, and so he was, he, this is, these are quotes from the book right here. He says, uh, he's speaking at a, a, a lecture, a conference, and he says, I had just argued that we ought to embrace our enemies as God has embraced us in Christ. And so he's speaking on this topic, and then someone stands up and asks him uh, a question and says, can you love the Setnik? What is that word? Uh, it's a word from his homeland. The Setnik was the, the person, the, the people group, who was going through his homeland. This is in the mid-90s during the Yugoslavic Wars. And this was a, a group of people who were going through his homeland and destroying it during the war. He, he writes this about them. They had been sowing desolation in my native country, herding people into concentration camps, raping women, burning down churches, and destroying cities. Can you love this person? And his answer, his initial answer was this. No, I cannot. But as a follower of Christ, I think I should be able to. Uh, and his book is wrestling with this. And he, he goes on to say, my thought was pulled in two different directions by the blood of the innocent crying out to God and by the blood of God's lamb offered for the guilty. And so for him, it was very, very real, this question of what does it look like to love our enemies? Um, and so sometimes I think we get a little uh, dissociated from some of the hard sayings of Jesus and what he's really calling us to. Um, and so we're going to look at uh, one of these things today. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6. And so if you're there, wonderful. If you're not, you still have a chance. Go in there. Um, it's going to be good. Uh, but before we look in this one chapter, I, you know, I was doing the study for this, and I had just overviewed it with the youth group. Uh, and so I was like so deeply in the text of John that I had a hard time uh, narrowing down what to actually speak on. Uh, a couple nights ago, I was talking with my wife, and I was like, uh, Kat, that's the name of my wife, uh, I'm, uh, here, here's the outline of what I'm going to go through for my sermon. And I'm going through it, and she's like, you can't do that. <laughs> I was like, babe. She's like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, fine. And so <laughs> there are so many wonderful things in the Gospel of John and so many wonderful things in this chapter that it was, it, it's difficult to like cut them out because I'm just like, it's brilliant. The, like seriously, the biblical authors are brilliant in the way that they do things. Um, they intend, it's, it's, the Bible is written as literature that we're intended to read over and over and over again and meditate on its words. Um, it's this very active process that's lifelong that we go through for our, our whole lives. And so today, as we're going to be diving into the word, um, I'd ask you to really interact with it here because there are going to be some things that we read in the text that we're not going to talk about and some things that you're going to have questions about. And uh, dare I say, you should write them down. <laughs> you, you can ask someone in your small group later, uh, or if you want, you can ask me on the plaza, and I'll try. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, it's going to be good. We're going to be in a lot of the text. But John itself, uh, John has like a purpose for writing his Gospel of John. Because, you know, we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and they all have different purposes for writing their account of Jesus. And for John, uh, we're going to see it in John chapter 6. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, I forgot that I had this one first. Uh, Look, no, I'm just going to skip it. 
The purpose of John's gospel is this, and he writes it in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's his purpose. He says, I've written all these things about the signs and the wonderful things that Jesus has done so that you would believe. Ah, okay. But this, this is kind of an issue in our text because what we're going to be looking at, look, right here, uh, his disciples are going to say this in John chapter 6, in the end here, in, in verse 60. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's not good. The, the, the believing thing that John is writing this for, it's, is it working? It's not working here. The disciples are turning away and not following Jesus. So, how did we get here? Like, um, so, do you, I, I really like movies. <laughs> uh, some of you guys may like movies, but in, in a lot of movies, sometimes they do this really like cliche thing where the, the movie will start off with something kind of crazy happening. Uh, and then it'll freeze, and then you'll get this narration. You might be wondering how I got here. <laughs> and then they go back in time and they discuss it. So that's kind of what we're doing today. We're starting at the end, right here in this text. Uh, many people are leaving Jesus. How did we get here? That's what we're going to be looking at. So, it's going to be great. Purpose of John's Gospel, we already looked at that. This is very important. Uh, John is going to be talking about the different signs that are present in the gospel. He says, okay, here are all the, the signs so that you may believe, right? So John has recorded, uh, and he's going to name them. He's going to call them out in his book. There are seven signs. The initial ones he names, and then the, less, the, the rest he goes, okay, you're going to figure these out as you go. And there are about seven of them, and we're, we're going to be focusing in on chapter six on one of them. But all these seven signs, they all have to do with uh, miracles that, that Jesus does. Uh, and they're all centering around God's provision. Uh, so he turns water into wine. He heals a sick boy. He heals a paralyzed man. He feeds the 5,000. That's what we're going to be looking at today. He heals a blind man. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And then the last sign is he himself is resurrected from the dead. They're all centering around God's provision. And then the question that's left to us is, well, how, do we, how do we respond to these signs? So feeding the 5,000, how do people respond to these signs? And as we're reading John's gospel, we see a bunch of different responses. It, it basically just goes, Jesus does this, and then people respond to it. And so what happens? Uh, in chapter 2, we see an example of uh, he, at the wedding, John chapter 2, he turns water into wine, and the disciples believed him. But then here in John chapter 5, we see the teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders, they begin to persecute him, and they try all the more to kill him. That is not a good response to the sign. And so we're going to see two different signs that are going on here, belief and unbelief, and even leading to persecution. Um, but sometimes the unbelief looks a, a little bit more like, uh, like what's really going on here? It's like confusion. It's misunderstanding. And so as we go through the text, we're going to be looking at uh, what are we supposed to do, and what are, what are people's actual responses? So... Response to the signs, they're, they're signs of God's provision. And uh, the, the question is really, will you trust in God? Are you going to believe that he's going to do what he says he is? Are you going to believe that he, he provides for you? Or are you going to reject his way, his, his way of doing things, misunderstand him? And uh, like, like the, the, the Jewish religious leaders, persecute him and try to kill him. So, as we go through the text, that's what we're going to be seeing. So, we're starting at the beginning here. John, chapter 6, verse 1. 
I've got the text on the screen. Um, I really have the text on the screen just so I can like highlight really cool things about it, but if you would, open it up in your Bible. Uh, that's where I'm going to be reading from. And we're just going to work our way through this text, and it's going to be wonderful. So, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed. Okay, like that's, a, that's like a good start. People are following him because he performed signs. It's a good start. Uh, the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? This is funny. Uh, he says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Okay, so he's testing his disciples. Uh, will we be able to provide for these people? And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish, but how far will it go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. So there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is, this is incredible. And this is actually um, very similar to a sign that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, by Elisha. He, he does something very, very similar to this. And so people are going to be going, oh, I'm getting the picture that you're, you must be something like a prophet. And that's exactly what we see. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began saying, surely this is the prophet who would come into the world. And now, now this is interesting. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That's really interesting. They're, they're, they're so excited about him and they say, oh, he must be the prophet. He must be the one who, who was promised to come. This is great. And they want to take him and make him a king. But he withdraws um, and he, he gets away from them. Um, and this is really interesting because when, when you read this, you, you think back into stories about kings and uh, especially when people want to have a king, uh, like my, my mind instantly goes back to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, when Israel had no king. And then the Israelites said, we want a king like the other nations, and they clamored for a king, and then God gave them what they wanted. Um, but what they wanted was a king like the other nations, instead of having God as their king. And it turned out very poorly for them. Saul was that first king, and he was not a good king. He was a, a, a very bad king. And so this uh, is meant to evoke that imagery that's going on in the Old Testament with the people want one thing, but Jesus is going to say, not, not your way. It's going to be the way of my Father, who's in heaven. And we see that play out on the Gospels on, on different levels. So... That's what happens in the first section. And then, uh, so some, some things to, to, to bring your attention to. 
We, we kind of talked about them as we went through. Uh, people followed him after they saw the signs of uh, him healing other people. Uh, he is testing them. And then in red here, we have their kind of unbelief. Uh, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for them. So his disciples don't believe that he can actually provide. And then after the people saw the sign, they intended to come and make him king by force. This is also a, a misunderstanding of why Jesus is here. Why, what is he going to do? They, they misunderstood. Uh, he's not here to, to be a king, to, to rule and to get the Romans to, to, to leave Israel alone. No, he's here to do something very different and something very shocking. Um, and so that's, keep those things in mind as we go through the text. In the next section here, we're just going to skip through it. Most of you guys know this story. Um, Jesus walks on water. It's weird. Like his disciples, they go out on a boat and they're going to the other side and Jesus stays. And then near the next morning, they see Jesus walking on the water and he hops in the boat and then they're on the other side. It's, a, it's really a miracle and it's, uh, it's very interesting in this narrative, but you guys know this, so we're skipping it. And we're going right to the next section. So, here we have the next section, starting at verse uh, 25. Uh, read along with me, read along. Uh, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because they knew that he hadn't gotten in the boat. How did, how did this happen? Something miraculous happened. And Jesus answers them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what sign then will you give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So this is really funny, and it's super ironic. John uses a lot of irony in his gospel, but Jesus just performed a sign with bread. Uh, he multiplies it. He feeds thousands of people. It's impossible to do, and they know he's done this sign, and they're asking for another sign. Asking for a sign from Jesus after he's already done one, they, they don't believe. And that's what we're going to get through this story, is they're going, Jesus is going to call them to belief. Look, see, see what I've done. And they are going to reject him over and over again. Uh, so, just some things to point out in here. They reject him. Uh, even though he's performed these signs, Jesus calls them to believe. We're going to skip through a little bit here. Uh, and then what sign will you give? It's their unbelief in response to his signs. The next section, verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. Okay? And so this is basically just the, the core of his argument. And the people are going to go on, and he's going like, to repeat these things over and over again. I am the bread of life. Believe in me. This is what it means to, for me to be the bread of life. Take me in so that you may believe. And so some things to highlight. He says, I'm the bread of life. They don't believe. And then their response is to grumble about it. 
they grumble about it. Um, and uh, it, it goes on. They, they still don't believe. And Jesus just goes on and says, the one who believes has eternal life. I, I, I am the one who's giving you eternal life. Whew. It is, it is just like, it is like a chore to like chug through this. You're just, you're just looking at them and going, why don't you get it? <laughs> why don't you understand what Jesus is saying and doing? He's, he's making it quite plain. But then, he, but then he starts to twist it a little bit. And that's what we're going to see going on in, into the next section here. He goes on. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Uh, and so he's taking on himself, and this is what he does in John's Gospel, is he takes very important uh, things from the Old Testament, like manna, or, or the temple, or uh, Passover, or these different feasts and things, and he says, I'm the fulfillment of all of these things. All of the Old Testament actually points to me. And so that's what he's doing here with the bread from heaven. I, I am the bread from heaven. Uh, and he goes on, whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. Um, and so then we, we get some stark words here. Then, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Hmm. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Okay, so let's look at some things in here. The same, the same sorts of things. He calls them to believe and they reject. He calls them to believe and they reject. But then he, he brings it to this point where he says uh, this about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And uh, this, is, <laughs> this is one of the things that I think we hear and we go, oh, yes, of course. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, we've, gotten <laughs> we've gotten so comfortable with a saying like this, to eat my flesh and, and drink my blood, that we, I think we, we don't understand how shocking this would be to people who are hearing it. Uh, if you, if you like, try to like, scan through the, the Old Testament, this is the book that they're reading and is being taught to them, uh, on eating flesh and drinking blood, I've got to tell you guys, it is never good. <laughs> it is really never good. Uh, just looking, looking through that, it's just these shocking, shocking statements of judgment um, for Israel who has disobeyed. That's where these get brought up. And yet, who, whoever uh, participates in this shocking, shocking judgment will receive eternal life. These, these are astounding words, and this is not, uh, obviously, what the disciples of Jesus are expecting. And so the section goes on. Verse 60 on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet." There are some of you who do not believe. Even Jesus' own disciples. This isn't just the crowds that are following after him. This is Jesus' own disciples. Jesus says, I'm giving you the words of life, and yet you do not believe. For Jesus had known, it goes on, had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And then from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
So some, some things to highlight. Unbelief, and Jesus says, but I've given you the words of life. Unbelief, his disciples turn away, the ultimate unbelief. But then look, look, look down at verse uh, 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. He says, we know these words are hard, but we know who you are, and what else are we supposed to do? We know your true identity. You're the Holy One of God. You're, you're the Son of Man from, from Daniel 7. God has given you all authority. Uh, though you have hard words, what, what else should we do? Um, so... Now we're gonna we're gonna do an over, kind of an overview, some 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 points about the text that we're gonna bring out. Uh, and the first one is uh, how did that happen? There we go. Uh, these are in your notes. There's no blanks to fill in. That's just for you to take and uh, to your small group if you want. Um, but the first is this: uh, the crowds wanted Jesus's power for their own selfish way. They had their own desires in mind. They did not have God's desires in mind. And we see that in verses 15 and, and 26. In verse 15, it's when they want to come and make, uh, take him and make him king by force. And 26 is when Jesus calls out, you're not following me because you actually believe the signs. You, you've just come because you want your bellies to be filled again. You've just come for the uh, immediate uh, pleasure of getting your belly filled again. Um, so... And that's not, that's, it's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus isn't to come and to do what the people want. He's come to do the will of the Father, and it's something, it's something very unique. And it's, it's, that, it's something that, honestly, is still confounding to me, even though I have studied this book and studied theology. Uh, just what it means for Jesus to come and do what he did is quite astounding. So not the selfish way. Jesus' way is to do this, to selflessly give his life for the world, showing that God provides. Um, and remember, at the beginning of the text, it, it was hearkening back to saying, this was close to the time of the Passover. And we're meant to connect what, what's going on here with what actually happened in the Passover. And the Passover was when God said, what you're going to do, this is in the Exodus, you're going to, to take a, a lamb uh, and you're going to, to, to kill it and wipe its blood across the door. If you don't know the story, this sounds really weird. A lot of the Bible's kind of like that. Um, and instead of you dying, uh, this animal has taken your place. And God is providing a way out. And so God is providing uh, Jesus that we see to give his life for the world. Uh, and this is the same type of thing that we are called to ourselves, not to do things in our own way, uh, but to do it the way of Jesus. And it's to selflessly give of ourselves to others so that they may have a, f a fuller life. And so some questions that come up as, as we ponder this text, which, which way do I follow? Do I follow my own selfish way or do I follow God's way? Am I someone who is so turned uh, internally that I just, I, all, all I care about is myself? Or do I truly care about others and want to give to them and give to them so that they are, are blessed um, and so that they have more life uh, and have it to the fullest? Another question, uh, in what ways am I tempted to use Jesus, uh, to use him rather than to imitate him? Uh, I mean, this even comes down to, to our prayer lives. What, what are the things that I'm asking for? Is it 
I mean, are, are my prayers primarily centered about me and what I want and what I want to happen? Or am I seeking God in prayer and saying, Father, not my will be done, but yours? So the next point here that we have is that Jesus' closest disciples did not understand his way. Uh, we see this from the beginning. He, he's testing uh, one of his disciples, and they don't get it. And then later on, it's very clear that they don't get it. They're grumbling about what Jesus is saying. They don't understand. And this is, this is a clear theme throughout all the Gospels. They don't really get it until Jesus has been raised from the dead. But, but they're still willing to follow him. They knew who he was, and therefore they trusted his way, even though it didn't make sense at the time. Peter says, uh, we know you're the Holy One of God. Where else are we supposed to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the, the, the questions for us, by society standards, when it doesn't make sense, when does it make the least sense for me to trust God? And so the, the way of the Christian, the way of the, the disciples in this text, is to, to trust in something that doesn't make sense to anyone else. Everyone else is, is falling away. Because that, that doesn't make sense to me, I'm, I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, if I mean, honestly, if... People who, who don't know God and don't know Jesus look at my life and say, everything about your life makes perfect sense, then I think I'm doing something wrong as a Christian. Um, I think there should be things about my life that, that don't quite make sense because of this trust that I have on God and the fact that God will provide. Um, so in, in what ways, uh, as we're looking at the world, can that happen? Um, and so, uh, to examine, because, you know, the Christian life is a process that, that goes on and on, and for us to look at which areas of my life do I have the hardest time not trusting God. Um, and it's going to be different for everyone. Um, for, for, for some, it's with money, and for some, it's with relations. For some, it might be your kids. You have a hard time letting go of your kids or doing what's right for them. It, it could be a myriad of things. Um, uh, to just examine yourself and to see what areas of my life am I not trusting God. And then, and this is key, because God has called us, uh, Jesus has called us to follow him and ultimately to be a light to the world. And so uh, this question should always be on our minds. How can I better show what it looks like to trust God? How can I show what it looks like to trust God? Um, so it, as, we, as we read the scriptures, we're supposed to, to look and to see these things and to meditate on them and to have our lives be transformed through a lifetime of reading and rereading these words. So this last point here, um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a rough one because I think we know people in our lives who have walked away from God, who've rejected God's way. Um, and this is what we see in the text. Many people will reject God's way, and God will let them have their own way. Um, it's very common in, in Scripture to see this theme playing out. Uh, I mean, th they want to go, and they go. Jesus doesn't say, no, wait, you've misunderstood. I'm going to make this easier for you to understand now. No, he just he lets them go. He lets them have their own way. And... Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, think back to King Saul. Uh, they, wanted, they wanted a king just like the other nations, and they got what they asked for. And you saw how it led to the ruin of Israel as Israel spiraled downward uh, until a true king could come and to fix things. So we see happening in 1 Samuel. So, uh, but in spite of this, and this is, this is where it gets quite shocking, 
through people following their way, God's purpose is accomplished. Hmm. Uh, People going off on their own way, God's purpose is going to be accomplished. And so think back to this verse. It's verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What? <laughs> uh, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's, it's funny <laughs> that uh, these people, uh, these crowds, reject Jesus' words in this way. Because they, they say, no, it's shocking. Oh, what does it mean to eat your flesh and drink your blood? We're, we're not going to do that. And they leave. And then what we see by the end of the gospel is that the crowds are the ones who are shouting for Jesus to be crucified, to tear the flesh off of his bones and to put him up on the cross. It's, it's shocking and it's horrible that we, see this, that, that we see this take place. Because God somehow for some reason, has ordained that the world is going to be saved. The world is going to be provided with eternal life through the killing of his son, through the murder of Jesus. And these are, this is a shocking, a very shocking thing. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's the Bible. Um, and I look at these words and I go, I, I see what the Bible is saying. I don't understand why, but I, I get it. I get it. Um, so look at, look at this uh, verse here in Acts 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you for miracles and wonders and signs, like we're seeing in John, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You've seen these signs. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's incredible. Uh, God used the sin of these people, the, the shocking and horrific act to bring life to the world, we see. I mean, go back here. Uh, whoever does this, because Jesus killed, it provides it eternal life for whoever believes in him. How can that be? <laughs> it's, it's, it's really astounding. And I, I think we, we don't understand the, the full depth of that. And sometimes when we're reading these scriptures, they just become so plain to us. We're like, yes, of course. And, you know, last week we took, we took communion and we're recreating this sign. And it's, honestly, it's so beautiful what, what happens in the gospel because, in John's gospel especially, is because we see this is a horrific thing where people are walking away. And yet this, this horrific thing is going to get kind of reinterpreted at the Last Supper to be showing that God, that God really does provide. He provides a sacrificial lamb and he, he provides this, this banquet where Christians come together and they eat and drink because God has provided and that's the way it will be in heaven. And so it has these, these dual kind of associations with it that it's this act of judgment that is also something that brings incredible blessing. And this is only... Uh, it's only lived out by us when we, when we meditate on, on these words. 
when we, when we see these shocking words of Jesus and take them into our lives, um, you know, like Jesus says, uh, take the bread and eat it, and you, I mean, he says it in, the, in this chapter, you will be in me and I will be in you. And somehow, we are associated with Christ in his death and resurrection in such a way that the Bible talks about it as we die to our old way of living, and just as Jesus is resurrected, we rise to a new way of life that has been enabled for us because of Jesus. We can cast off our bondage to to sin and to death and to live freely the way that God always intended us to live. And it's all because of a shocking and horrible sin. These are hard words, but may we not you know, cast this aside and like, I mean, it's, inc- it's incredible that they had all these signs and do you guys, I have like 10 Bibles in my house. I have all of these things. <laughs> we, we have such a saturation with God's word. Jesus says, my, my words are life and truth. Are we just going to cast these things away? Or are we going to, to look to them and to believe? And that's, that's what Jesus calls us to. Are you going to look to me and to believe and so receive eternal life? Let's pray.